Um, but I am a, a couple of things to start off with. Um, I know that a lot of you like to take notes, and you'll be in here and you'll be scrambling. At the end of the day today, from sitting through one good lecture after another, you're going to have carpal tunnel syndrome, and you're going to have just aching hands and wrists. So I want you to know a couple of things. If you go to michaelcsherrard.com forward slash resources, you can get not only the the keynote or PowerPoint presentation from this morning. You can also get the entire manuscript from it. So you can feel free to take notes, but also know that you can just sit back and relax and listen and we just jot down a couple of things, knowing that you can go there after the fact and get everything you need. Also, if there's anything I say this morning that makes you angry, that you just don't like, you can tweet it out to those hashtags right there. Follow me on Twitter and tell the world of what kind of awful person that I am. Well, again, my name is Mike Sherrard. I am a husband. I've got five little kids back home. So throughout this morning, any of you that feel so inclined to pray for my wife, it would be very appropriate. We have five under seven right now, and uh, we are hanging on uh, by our fingernails to the ledge of life. But I'm also a pastor. I have a book that's recently come out called Relational Apologetics, and I am the director for Ratio Christi College Prep, which if you're familiar with Ratio Christi, this is our initiative to reach down into high school, to equip adults to train high school students to not only just know that Christianity is true, but to know why it matters for anybody else. We don't want to just give Christian teenagers answers to the question of God's existence. We don't want to just teach them the cosmological argument. We want to teach them and equip them to know why it is good for other people, why it's good just in general for this world, why it's good for society, why it is more than just your get-out-of-hell-free get card. And we want to equip them to know how to talk to their classmates effectively, ultimately in all of this preparing them for when they go off to university and they're going to sit in the classroom of the militant atheist professor whose agenda is to teach them something other than simply biology. It's to teach them that their faith is irrational and they should abandon it. And I want to just tell you right now that you are here not in isolation. There are adults, college students, teenagers all across the country that are eating up apologetics, worldview, and evangelism training. The church is awakened. And that is the good news, that this conference that you're going to be at isn't a, a just a, a unique experience. It's literally happening all across the country. My inbox is filled with church leaders, pastors, other parachurch ministry leaders that are saying, we want to know how to equip our teenagers to defend Christianity. And so that is good news. That is exciting. That is encouraging. That is why you are here. So I know there's a lot to be discouraged about with what's going on in the world, but take heart because the Lord is doing something in His church, and we just need to be faithful and respond accordingly. Amen? There's a little preacher in me coming out right there, so I hope you'll forgive that and allow me to indulge in that. So uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time this morning on the problem. And that's because you're probably familiar with this statistic. It's been saturated throughout Christian apologists, sociologists, even the media, for example, that teenagers in general are just walking away from their faith once they get to college. There's a lot of research and study being done. And wherever the truth of it lies within those numbers, that's our experience, right? 
We don't need a stat to tell us that teenagers are walking away from their faith once they go off to university because we know them. How many of you here know of a young man or young woman that maybe was even faithfully involved in church, maybe was a leader in their youth group, and you haven't seen from them in a long time? They have walked away. How many of you have seen that? Yeah. Most of us in here know a person. We don't need a bullet point or a statistic from a slideshow to tell us that teenagers are walking away from the faith. So we do want to look just at three reasons for this. Because for those of us that want to be trained to get the tools to work with teenagers, we do need to look a bit beyond the statistic and know what are some of the reasons that are causing them to walk away from the faith. And we are just going to look at three. And please don't think that I'm reducing this teenage exodus to three bullet points. Teenagers are much more complex than that. I hear a couple of jokes. Yeah. Right, okay, good. Someone got my, my humor there. But let's look at just three reasons. And the three that we're going to look at this morning are worldview, sex, and reason. Now, what in the world is a worldview? Well, a worldview is a set of beliefs that affect how you see life, how it affects how you interpret your experiences. Because there are different ways to view life, aren't there? We all don't just see the same situation and come to the same conclusion, do we? Take a modern social issue like homosexuality, for example. There are different ways to view this issue, isn't there? Our country isn't united in our view on same-sex marriage, are we? No, we obviously have different beliefs that are causing us to view this issue differently. So, for example, when Jesus says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, does he have the correct view of marriage? Or do those that say marriage is about love, not gender, do they have the right view of marriage. So you see, worldview, the set of beliefs that you possess that cause you to view and understand life in a certain way is incredibly important. You know, we live in the age of tolerance. Everybody can have their own view. But we don't operate in such a passive, gentle way, do we? No, we have beliefs that we think are correct and we expect other people to operate accordingly. Same-sex marriage is a great example for that. So the beliefs that you possess that cause you to view life in a certain way are incredibly important. So the question is, do teenagers possess a set of beliefs that cause them to view life in a way that would be in line with Scripture? Do they, in other words, have a biblical worldview. What do you think? I can see the look on your faces. Your, your assumption is correct, but it's not only teenagers. It seems that nearly no one has a biblical worldview anymore. A lot of research has been done. Uh, one just to, to highlight has shown that less than one out of ten adults possess 
a biblical worldview. So you can, so, all right, that means nine of you in here <laughs> don't have, no, of course that's not the way we use statistics. Statistics aren't the, the end-all, be-all to debates or giving us insights, but they do help us, I think, often to give us a, a general picture. But let me ask you this, you can make this next conclusion on your own, I bet. If only one out of ten adults have a biblical worldview, you think teenagers are going to have a higher, no. Look at this number. This is ridiculous. Less than one half of one percent of young adults possess a biblical worldview. That's a ridiculous number. That's not even a number, is it? I know you math people are going, yes, that's actually a number. No. <laughs> I obviously know it's a number. But that is so small. And perhaps it's not right. Perhaps it's higher than that. But I cannot say that in the past 20 years of my life working with teenagers that my experience is any different than that. I've had an experience that I'm sure some of you have had, but I was teaching uh, before pastoring and working with Ratio Christie. I, I taught high school for, for several years, and some of that time was at a Christian school, and I had a, a classroom of, of young, young men, and it was an ethics <coughs> class, and somehow the conversation got on salvation. And of these 12 young men, 9th and 10th graders, I knew how many of them went to church. And they all were faithful churchgoers. I knew many of their parents. They are the Sunday school family. You know, fighting in the car on the way there, and then, no, I'm just kidding. And not one of them could give me a coherent explanation of what it means to be saved. Not one. And this isn't, you know, I've, I've taught long enough to know the difference between a, I know the answer, but I don't want to share the answer, and a, genu a genuine, I don't know how to answer this question. Is it any wonder, friends, why a generation of teenagers who don't know who God is are walking away from Him? We have failed an entire generation, not even teaching them the fundamentals, not even teaching them mere Christianity. There is such confusion in the younger generations, and I'm talking about those that go to church. I'm not just talking about teenagers in general. There is such confusion over basic things like sin and salvation, sex and marriage. We have to, in one sense, get back to the basics in just teaching the fundamentals of Christianity. So a lack of a biblical worldview is one reason why teenagers, when they go off to university, are walking away from the faith. They literally just don't even know who God is. They have some vague, abstract, arbitrary understanding of who He is, and who knows where they picked it up from. The second thing we want to look at is sex. Youth ministers, church leaders across the country are telling me the same story. They want parents to know that their sons and daughters are playing with sex because they all are. Youth ministers tell me routinely that they don't know of hardly any upper class boys that are not actively engaged in pornography or sex or both. And they say that it is equally as rare to find an upper class female student 
that hasn't at the very least engaged in not all the way sexual activity. In fact, a recent survey came out showing that 88% of singles 18 to 29 have had sex. Now that was just in general, but here's what it is of evangelicals. 80% of single evangelicals aged 18 to 29 are no longer virgins. And this is such an important statistic, or, or point rather, to draw out. Because often what manifests itself as an intellectual reason to forsake God is more of a sin problem than anything else. Teenagers are abandoning God with their heart before they are abandoning Him with their mind. And sexual sin is running rampant throughout the church. It is destroying us from the inside out. And this is information that you need to know because if you want to move forward, we're going to give you some practical steps here in a bit on how to work with teenagers. Know that when you're dealing with a teenager and they're sitting across from you and they're questioning their faith, you would not be a wise and loving adult if you weren't at least aware of this. That what they are saying is the reason might not be the real reason. I just recently had a young man come in to talk to me about questions regarding his faith. And he was just saying, I'm really, just really questioning. I don't really think God exists. And he's throwing out some things. And we just ask questions. I ask questions. Find out, well, what's going on in your life? <coughs> Turns out there's a girl. Turns out for a year they've been sexually active. And one of the things he said to me just really stood out. Uh, we went through the layer of some of the, you know, classical objections to Christianity. Well, if, you know, if there's a God, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? But then it became very personal. He said, I just don't feel God. I just don't... My prayer life, you know, whenever I pray, I don't really ever feel that He's there. I don't really ever see that He's answering me. I just, I don't really say I've ever experienced God. So it was a very personal thing. And then the question to simply ask this young man is, well, do you think you're living in a way that would allow you to, using your own words, experience or feel or know in a relational, kind of intimate way, a holy and a perfect God? Should you really expect to live in rebellion and feel, just feel, this closeness? And gave me an honest response. No. So know this to be true about the younger generations. They are being killed by sexual sin. Just think about the advent of the smartphone. Well, recently, we just, if you're a reader of headlines, Playboy is not showing nude photos in their magazines anymore. This isn't a good thing, by the way. It's because they said, why would we print these things and have people pay for them when they're getting them for free in their pocket off their smartphone? This is what our children are dealing with. They are under heavy assault from this, and it is causing them to not feel as though God is there, more than know that He is not there. Third, we want to look at reason. Now, what do I mean by reason? Well, reason is what we use to determine what is true. And the primary tool of reason is the argument now, when I say argument, I don't mean this. Uh, an argument is simply to 
offer a set of reasons or evidence in support of a conclusion. Because not all ideas are equal, are they? Loving and nurturing a baby isn't the same and just as valid as torturing babies for fun, is it? No, not all ideas are equal. And the tool that we use to determine which idea is better than the other is what we call reason. And we use arguments to show that my viewpoint, my position is the right one and why it is better than yours. And the reason we need to talk about reason is because this world says that Christians are unreasonable, that our beliefs are silly, that we simply believe in a glorified Santa Claus. We believe in fairy tales, that our faith isn't grounded in reason, that we don't have good evidence for believing that we do. We're just following a cleverly invented story. Or as Christopher Hitchens used to say, we believe in a sinister Santa Claus who doesn't just know if you're good or if you've been bad, but will send you to hell for your bad deeds. And these folks that think that Christian faith is unreasonable are not passive about this. As we've said before, many of them will be your children's professors when they go to university. And they're not hiding this either. It's not like they're trying to be discreet and, no, we just come in teach about... No, this is what they are on the record as having said. Stephen Weinberg, University of Texas, said this, if scientists could destroy the role of religion in society, it would be the most important contribution that we can make. Daniel Dennett, and isn't that just a great picture? Man, I would love to have that beard. He said, they will see me as just another liberal professor trying to cajole them out of some of their convictions, and they are dead right about that. That's what I am, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. But it's not just professors that are attacking our teenagers, saying that our beliefs are silly, are wrong, are stupid, but they're being hit it up, or they're being attacked in just pop culture. Any of you know the artist Macklemore? Uh, if you work with teenagers, you need to know who Macklemore is. Uh, he's actually pretty good. Uh, you might judge me for that, that's okay. Uh, he's in the hip hop genre. But he's actually a very good songwriter, and his songs have, at the very least this one, it's, good. it's just good. It just is. And the reason why you need to know about him is because your 16-year-old daughter is driving in her Civic, listening to this song, singing it, not realizing what she's being indoctrinated with. Check out some of his lyrics. The right-wing conservatives think it's a decision and you can be cured with some treatment and religion. Man-made rewiring of a predisposition. Playing God, oh no, here we go. America the, oh, you want me to really bust it out, don't you? You know, to be honest, I thought about it. I don't, hey, listen, I didn't tell people I used to do music, Tim, you keep that quiet. 
America the brave still fears what we don't know. And God loves all his children is somehow forgotten. But we paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. I wonder how many of you have taught your teenagers basic Bible facts. Like how many books there are in the Bible. How many languages were used in writing it. Over what time span was the book written? Because if you're not, Macklemore is. And he's not right. <laughs> That's not right, by the way. When I was at church, they taught me something else. If you preach hate at the service, those words aren't anointed. That holy water that you soak in has been poisoned. When everyone else is more comfortable remaining voiceless rather than fighting for humans that have had their rights stolen. I might not be the same, but that's not important. No freedom till we're equal. Damn right I support it. And then the lyrics of the chorus, and I can't change even if I tried, even if I wanted to. And I can't change even if I tried, even if I wanted to. What is brilliant about this song. It's political. It's in support of a marriage referendum. So here's a hip-hop artist getting political. How many in the church feel like you can't get involved in politics? You don't have to raise your hand. That's just not for us to do. Well, you have hip-hop artists that are influencing your children's political views. He attacks the authority of Scripture. He says that homosexuality is rooted in biology, that it's who you are. Effectively, he's talking about human nature. He's saying that humans are what they do, which is not the right understanding of humanity. We are not simply that which we do. And he's teaching us that is true. And he is indirectly equating those that oppose homosexuality with racism. He did all that in the first verse. And our kids are running around singing this. I can't tell you how many times I've used this illustration with adults. And a lot of the younger adults go, I was singing that yesterday. I had no idea that's what it was. But the song it has a very compassionate feeling to it also. And so our teenagers are hearing this. They don't know otherwise because we're obviously not teaching them the other side. They're being told that Christians are bigots, hateful, we're oppressors. They know a kid at school who identifies as gay, and they don't know what to do with this. They don't know what to do with this. Through social issues, they're being sold the lie that Christianity is oppressive. And for mankind to reach its fullest, they need to break free of the shackles of religion. You know who started that lie? Satan. This is an old lie, friends. Remember back to the garden. Did God really say that? No. He just knows that if you eat of that, you will become like Him, knowing the difference of good and evil. That lie, you can trace that lie all throughout history. Look at Karl Marx. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature. For man to break... For man to reach its fullest, I'm paraphrasing Marx now, for man to reach his fullest, he needs to break free from religion. This whole idea that God is oppressive has been 
We've been attacked by that for all of human history. And here it is again in Macklemore's lyrics. So.